Love is the most wonderful thing a, a human being can feel. It makes you feel warm inside. And it makes you feel wanted and accepted. It makes you feel like you belong. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I wouldn't be here today without my next guest. He gave me an opportunity to take part in a television series that exposed me to the world and exposed the world to me. It was an experience that changed my life, I must admit. Ladies and gentlemen, joining me today is the director of the ABC and Netflix hit series, Love on the Spectrum, Keen O'Cleary. Welcome, Kean. Great to be with you once again. Thank you, Michael. It's good to see you. How like, long has it been since we saw each other in person? It's been about a year, I believe. Yeah, but we've spoken a lot. Yes, we have, over the phone. Yeah, it's been a while. It good has. to see your face again. Likewise. Normally, I record these episodes from my quarters at home in Wollongong, but I've come to Sydney so that we could chat face-to-face. So, thank you for joining me. No worries. Firstly, let's start at the beginning. What was your childhood like growing up? I had a kind of in- interesting childhood because I, my mum, uh, she bought a property out in the countryside of the government. It was like an, an old homestead that wasn't being used. It was empty. And she set up a, a gallery and a, a kind of a, an arts sort of precinct out there in the in the country. But then I was going to school in the city. This was Canberra, so... I was living outside of town, but going to school in town. So it was a bit strange because I, I lived in this, you know, beautiful countryside, but I didn't really have many friends out there where I where I stayed. And then, you know, I'd catch this school bus into town, which took me 45 minutes each way. Um, back in the days, sort of before Canberra, you know, the suburbs exploded. And um, yeah, it was kind of, it was it was interesting. It was different. It was beautiful where I lived, but it was also, you know, sometimes I didn't, have as much socializing as as you would have if you lived in town yeah i can imagine that how was yours well mine was um quite a pleasant one actually my there was there was me my brother and my sister who are both younger than me mm. my mother worked but also my dad did as well but they both took in turns in parenting us yeah I remember the numerous times when my dad used used to take us to a lot of places on the weekends. He would take us to the pools, the park, the cinemas, the shops. Um, he took us pretty much everywhere. Well, you've got a great family and you all, you all seem quite close. Yeah, we pretty much are. In primary school, um, that was actually a, a pretty pleasant time in my life. I remember that when I first started in primary school, I um, was pretty much withdrawn and mo- mostly sat alone. Mm. That was by choice. But then as time passed, I started to socialize more. And in high school, I absolutely hated it. Mm. A lot of people do, I think. Not because of the teachers, but it was because of the students were often annoying because of the assignments and exams, all that. Yeah, you didn't like that aspect of it? I hated it. Yeah. Do you know, I was just thinking about my school the other day. Um I think, do you know, I think I never did my homework my whole school life. That's surprising. Yeah. I, I, I wasn't a very good engaged student at school. Mm. Mm. Like there was, yeah, I, I, it wasn't for me. It didn't suit me very well. It wasn't really for me either. 
a lot of people have this um, goal of wanting to go to university, but I never had that goal. Plus, I'm not. I've never really been keen on on the academic side of things in life. Yeah, well, that's fair enough. You don't have to be. Was there a moment growing up that that you realised that you wanted to be a filmmaker? You know, a lot of people in the industry and a lot of people who direct and make programs have a story of, you know, I've wanted to do this since I was three or four years old. But that didn't really happen for me because I grew up in Canberra in the kind of, you know, 70s, 80s. And there wasn't really an awareness about the industry. Like it, it, it was never talked about at school. You didn't even know that there was such a thing as working in the film industry or um you know, being a director or, or making documentaries. It just didn't really even... It wasn't even in the zeitgeist back then and there weren't short film festivals like there are today. And so, it, it you know what? It didn't even kind of cross my mind and I, I knew I wanted to do something that I hadn't discovered or, or figured out yet, but I didn't know what it was. Um, so, actually what happened was after I left university and I dropped out of industrial design, I went traveling with my best friend and we traveled around the world and we stayed in England for a while. So we were living in Brighton in a backpackers hostel and there were four of us living in a room. Had jobs in um, hospitality. I worked in a hotel, the Grand in Brighton, which is like a fancy hotel in Brighton. And I was concierge. So, you know, I'd take people's bags up to their rooms and park people's cars. And, you know, it was one of those sort of customer facing roles. And the film crew came and stayed at the hotel. Oh. And, uh, yeah, I started talking to the producer and um, he asked me if I wanted to go out and visit the set, which I did. Ooh. Yeah. And it was a it was a kid's um, TV series about Prince and the Pauper. Hmm. And, yeah, so that kind of was when I thought to myself, wow, this looks like fun. This looks interesting. There's lots going on. You know, there's always something different. It's creative. And I thought, wow this is something that people actually work in and this is actually a potential career. Wow. So that was the first time I realized that. And I, I got the bug and I came back to Australia at the end of that trip and I said to myself, I'm not going to do any work until I get a job on a film. And I was determined that I just, I wasn't, I, I wasn't going to settle for anything less than working on a film. And I hassled and hassled and hassled and hassled and hassled a lot of people. So it was hard. And I, and I, yeah, it took me a long time, but eventually I got a job as a runner on Moby Dick and I had no idea what I was doing and it was uh, hard and embarrassing at times because, you know, people on the crew would be asking me for something and I'd have no idea what they were talking about. So it was, it was hard, but I learned, I learned fast and yeah, went from there. But, and I worked on films for a long time. Impressive. (laughs) How long have you been working in television? And how did you land your first job in television? Well, television then, so after I worked in film, um, I was actually working on, I was working on Matrix 2 and 3. It was a year-long shoot in Sydney as a cast driver. So, um, you know, we would pick up actors and bring them to work. And then a lot of the time we didn't have much to do during the day. But that really wasn't enough and I wasn't satisfied and I felt really you know, I started to really question what I was doing. And I remember thinking to myself, I'd love to make documentaries and I'd love to tell those kind of stories. Um, And I just sort of, you know, started to, I guess, try and find my way into it from there. Someone gave me a job as a shooter producer on Dancing with the Stars. 
Nice. And that was the beginning. And then, yeah, I kind of just went from there and learned how to how to make TV. My next question is, what inspired you to become a director? I don't know the answer to that question. I think it's just, you know, it's about storytelling. Directing is storytelling. Um, so I don't know. I'm not sure if there was any specific thing that led me to want to do that. But it's just if you want to be a storyteller in in our industry, that's kind of where you end up, you know, mm. trying trying to direct. And, and then I've, you know, just been really lucky and had some great opportunities. Yes. Yeah. And that's why we're here today, right? If yes, it wasn't for right. that beginning... I probably wouldn't be here sitting with you. Yes, that's right. We met during the production of Love on the Spectrum. How did the idea for the show come about? In fact, um, what kind of things inspired you to create this series? Well, I had made another series called Employable Me, which was a series about people with disabilities looking for work and, you know, telling the stories of people who really wanted something and were... um, wanting to break those barriers down of any, you know, employers thinking that maybe people couldn't do a certain job um, and wanted to prove them wrong. And we uh, made two series of Employable Me. And so in just talking to a lot of people on the autism spectrum, talking to a lot of young adults, a lot of them were saying that they really wanted to find love and love was something they were really interested in and was really hard to find and really and 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 for some people it it can be really tricky and so it was just based on the young adults on the spectrum that i'd met through employable me or or through that other series that you know just thought hey it feels like there's um a lot of people out here who are interested in something that isn't necessarily coming easily to some people again you know michael the autism spectrum is really wide and really diverse and everyone's completely different um but there were a lot of people telling me i really want to find love and i'm finding it really difficult so we came up with the idea of of making love on the spectrum and providing a bit of support but also just that opportunity to to tell those stories as well but a lot of the time what it was about was helping people just take those first steps you know because I yeah. think you, when you when we filmed with you, right, that was your first date, wasn't it? Yeah. What was it like having a first date on TV, being filmed by us on your first date? How did that feel for you? It it felt like an honour. Well, let's see. It's great that you weren't you weren't nervous. No. See, I mean, I'm nervous now talking to you on this podcast, right? You are. Yeah. I I'm, I'm not great with this stuff. I'm good at asking questions and being behind things but i'm not i'm not good at being in the spotlight that's why i mean it's amazing to me that people like you are so great and so comfortable in front of the cameras but it's you know it makes my job easy Uh, when there's people like you who are just so open and honest and just being your true self on your first date yeah pretty amazing right i mean you were pretty good at sort of concentrating on the person you were with and yeah and talking to them it despite everything else that was going on. I mean, what we try and do, as you know, when we when we do film people on dates, we try and hang back quite a bit so that we're not up in your face with cameras and we don't use lights and, you know, we try and just kind of... We try our best for it to feel as natural as possible for you and for the people who are dating. Yeah. People really wanted to find love. People like yourself, Michael. Mm-hmm. How old were you when we first met? 25. 25, yeah. And you hadn't been on a date, but you really wanted to find love and, you know, to yeah. the point where you even had the plaque that you'd made for your future wife yeah it was great when we found you did you know um you were calling us up quite a bit weren't you i was yeah when we were 
you were calling up the office and letting us know that you were interested in, in being a part of the series. And I think you, you didn't speak to me. Like I was out filming and we didn't actually find you until about two-thirds of the way through filming of the series. Oh. Yeah. Do you remember the first time we met? Nope. Do you? I think we just came and actually filmed an interview with you, didn't we, to start with? We said, hey, we need to go and meet this guy. And we got in our car and headed down to Wollongong and met you and your family. And look at what's happened to you. It's been great. Things have been different. My dad has noted a couple of times that, we've, that we went from being one of the most private families in the world to um, probably a famous one, I think. Yeah. <laughs> For quite some time now, I've been receiving a lot of compliments from people on one a beautiful family we are and, be- and how beautiful our house is. Well, yeah, you, I think you are a great family. You're close and it, uh, everyone's still living at home or has your well, brother moved out now? My brother's moved out. Yeah, yeah. And how's it all going? Things are going well, but I'm still wishing for something of myself. Yeah, you still want your own independence one day, right? Yeah. I didn't really have time to cover that in this series is your kind of hopes and dreams in terms of, you know, moving out of home and having your own place. That's because I was focusing, focusing excessively on finding a woman. Well, I, and that's kind of what the series is about, and that's what you were focused on at the time as well. So yeah. that's what's important to you. And how, how's that search going these days, Michael? It's going all right so far. It's a little bit slow, but I have been talking to someone. Mm. But the thing is, she lives in Toronto, mm. Canada. And yes, I I do acknowledge that the distance is quite an issue, I know. But let me put it this way. The distance is keeping us from jumping into things. We, we speak um, on WhatsApp as of, uh, just as often as we can because you know the time difference. Because mm. they're 16 hours behind us. Okay. Well, that's good. And you never know. Never say never Yeah. to opportunities. Because I could meet my, my future wife anywhere in the yeah, world. She could be anywhere. Hopefully either in England or Toronto. Maybe in Australia. You never know, Michael. We'll see. You just never know. Anyway, um, why do you think the series became so popular? Why do I think it became popular? Because of people like you, because of the people in the series. You know, people just really appreciated taking you as an example. Your honesty, you've got a great presence on screen, you're funny, your family's great. Um, you know, it's just you just have a nice energy. And I think the, the combination of all of our participants were just a great bunch of people. It just felt a bit more real and a bit more authentic than some of the other dating shows out there. I'll yes. say that. Yes, That's course. what I think. I think. I think that had something to do with it as well. Real people, you know. Real people dating and real people going through a journey and an experience that was special and meant something to them. I would actually agree with what you just mentioned about it being authentic and so real and people being allowed to be themselves Mm. and treating each other with respect and civility. Yeah. I think on series two, you were talking at the table about The Bachelor. Yeah. What about? Tell us about The Bachelor. What are your thoughts on that and, and why you may or may not appear on a show like that? It's because I, I wouldn't be allowed to be myself. And there's only one way that I treat w- women. And if I'm not allowed to b- treat any women 
any woman that way. There's no point in me going on a show like that. A lot of the guys seem to be hairless and chiseled, which I'm not. Well, you never know. They might be calling you up one day, but you probably wouldn't want to go on that show, would you? <sighs> not really. Did you ever think you'd end up being on a TV series when you were younger? I never thought I would be, but I did have some hopes because I've always wanted to be to be an actor and a voice actor as well. I always have ever since I was a kid. Mm. But the thing is, I just never had any chances or connections in any way. But ever since this show has happened, that's all changed. Well, that's a good thing then, isn't it? Yeah. And of course, you know, on Love on the Spectrum, you're not being an actor, you're being yourself. Yes. So it right. is a very different thing. But... I guess it shows that you do have a certain presence on screen, which I think helps if if that's what you want to do and that's where you want to be. Well, I'm highly determined and I'm no longer prepared to take no for an answer. Yeah. Follow your dreams, right? Yep. And my father has always encouraged me to to follow my dreams. And even my mother has um, started encouraging me to pursue that dream ever since Love on the Spectrum happened. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's been it's been a pretty, bit of a ride for you, hasn't it, since it the has. show came out? It has, yes. I think, you know, when it was picked up globally, that sort of, yeah, that just became a whole new thing, didn't it? I mean, it was already um, quite big in Australia and a lot of people knew this show, but yeah. when it was picked up and, and went global, that was certainly a, quite a, an experience, wasn't it? It was, yes. It was flattering because it, because it made me feel no longer invisible. Why did you feel invisible? Because while I was in school, I was often ignored by the other students. I didn't have a set group of friends. I just floated from one group to the next. Is that because you were maybe a little different to some of the other kids? Maybe it was that. Well, you know, schools are like that, I think. You know, people can be quite... Um mean tricky there's not a lot of uh room for being unique at school i don't think yes i know hmm. but you're not at school anymore and you know no. um i think people do appreciate you in your life aside from the series as well your family your people your co-workers i mean we filmed with you at your work it didn't make it in the series but your co-workers were all very speak very highly of you yeah your friends when the series got picked up by netflix how did you feel it was it was great. It was exciting. It was a bit nerve-wracking as well, you know, knowing that it was going to be out in, you know, what, 190 countries or something. Um, but I guess it must have been nerve-wracking for you too, right? Like, you're the one who's actually on screen. I'm just the person who made it. One of the first things we did is we called everybody who was in the series and let them know and just wanted to make sure everyone was, you know, feeling good about that. And I think they were, you know, people were really excited. And... That was, yeah, I mean, it was great, wasn't it? It was. It's just nice to make a little Australian series that people respond to around the world. And, you know, it was something new and something different that hadn't been done before. And yeah. um, no, it was lovely. It was great to just have uh, that global kind of reach. But it's probably affected you more than me, to be honest. Well, it didn't really um, affect me in a bad way. It Kind no. of influenced me in a positive way. Yeah, well, that's great. But you've got, I mean, you've got so many followers now, don't you, on yep. your social media accounts? And, yep. um, you know, you've got ladies writing to you from all over the world. Yes. <laughs> I don't get that, Michael. Mostly on, I, in, on Instagram. 
Did you, when it all started, did you feel like you had to respond to every single person who wrote to you? I did, yes. Mm. And you probably have realized that that's not possible now, right? Yeah, because it, they just keep piling and piling. Yeah. But I've had heaps and heaps. Yeah. 90% of the messages are people saying how much they loved the show and mm. how much they loved me and my family and what how lucky I am. Yeah. And how, how does your mum feel about all of the attention and the... She feels proud, but she doesn't really care for the fame that much. She just directs it all to me. <laughs> well, I know she was very excited when um, we let you know that Ellen was interested in talking to you. Yeah, I actually did find that surprising <laughs> because I never thought that she would ever ask me, of all people, to be on her show. Because mm. after all, I'm no Tom Hanks, <laughs> but I do wish to become half of what he is. Mm. I also do need to ask you, what are some of the key messages in Love on the Spectrum? I, well, I think, you know, our aim with this show is to have the people in the series speak for themselves and for uh, it to really be a platform to hear from people and to get to know people. So when you think about it's following people dating, that's kind of the structure of it. That's the skeleton of what the show is. But at the end of the day, it's about getting to know people. It's about an audience at home, getting to know you, for example, Michael. So I think any messages are really whatever comes from you and what comes from the other people in the show. I just hope people just gain more understanding. And I think by getting to know a group of people that they might not have previously gotten to know, people might understand a bit more about autism, about being on the spectrum, about what it's like for you and what it's like for some of the other guys who are part of the show. And just showing people how diverse the spectrum is. That's really important too. Yeah. What do you think? What, what's, what do you think the message um, is that the show that, kind of... That people on the spectrum can also show that they, they also want to be loved and that they shouldn't be seen as completely different from neurotypicals because they're not really. They're just still normal people. They just learn things differently. There have been some misconceptions, haven't there, about people on the spectrum yeah. not wanting to be loved or, or maybe having issues with empathy or something like that, which aren't true. So that well, absolutely was important. Well, not everyone's Sheldon Cooper. <laughs> That's right. How did you first find out about me in 2019 and what made you decide to make me part of your show? I think you were calling up the production office number yeah, I think I just remember someone saying, oh, this guy called Michael keeps ringing us. He's ringing and ringing and I'm going to finally have a video chat with him. Um, and I hadn't ever spoken to you before. And I think you did a video chat with Cassie. Yeah, yeah. Skype. And I spoke to Karina as well and we were like, we have to go and meet this guy. Hmm. We we just knew straight away that there was something about you, Michael, that was um, really special and really uh, unique, I guess, just the way... You express yourself. Yeah. And I think that's why people have responded to you as well. You know, there's there's just something about you. Some people just have a presence. And it's hard to describe what it is. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, but your mum, I think your mum said when we, you know, came down and started filming, she said, oh, I always knew something was going to happen with Michael. I think she kind of knew that you have, there's something about you that was, you know, really strong. That's how it happened. And then we went and met you. And like I said, it was that was well into filming. That was probably two-thirds of the way through filming. We just met you in time. Yeah. <laughs> on Love on the Spectrum, the focus was on 
my love life, but um, what about you? Um, what has your love life been like? I think we're out of time, Michael. I'm, I'm just trying to avoid the question. I, I don't know. I'm just, I don't know. I haven't had a lot of, a lot of luck over the years in that department. You know, sometimes you meet wonderful people and it's not the right time for one of you. What I would say, though, is, you know, I know sometimes you're not feeling great about the fact that you're still single. But you know what? You're still young and there's plenty of time and people can meet the right person at, at, at any point. And you never yeah. know when it's going to happen. How old are you now, Michael? Next month I'll be 28. 28. So you're still in your 20s. Late 20s, actually. That's young. You've got plenty of time. Yes. You'll find the right person. Do you think I successfully deflected that question to turn it back to you? Yeah, I think you did. What are some of your beliefs and values in life? Would you like to share any personal philosophies? Tread lightly on the earth, I think. That's a good one. I think that's something I think about. I see. Do you know what that kind of means? I've never really heard of that phrase. Tread, tread lightly on the earth. Um, I do think a lot about the planet and where we're at. Is that one of the no-nos, talking about climate change? Is that one of your rules? To not, am I allowed to talk about climate change? I think, I think there's a lot of things we're doing as a people that are potentially harmful to the planet and to society. And just, you know, hopefully we can kind of come together and work out solutions to you know, move forward in, in, in ways that are sustainable. Yeah. I think sustainability, that's my, that's my philosophy. And just be, just be respectful, I think, to people. I think yes, that's, of course. that's a simple kind of, simple way to look at, I guess, how you interact with the world. What about you? What are the most important philosophies you have? One of them is, um, if you ever find yourself a partner in life, you should not only be loyal, but also grateful. Because if you end up losing your partner, there's a chance that you might not be able to get them back. And in the dating life, the dating game, I meant, some of us, like myself, have been dating our hooks in the water for a very long time. And when you, fi and when you find yourself the best catch, do not throw her back. Dangling your hooks in the water, I like it. That's a fishing metaphor. Yes, I get it. Okay. And uh, just quickly, Michael, I wanted to ask you, because, you know, you're talking about dating and talking about um, finding someone and, you know... Yeah. What do you think about today's dating world, how there's so much, I guess, choice given to us in terms of all these dating apps and, you know, the swiping culture and the way that it's all about, like, here's another person, another person, another person, make a choice, yes, no, yes, no. How, what do you think about that? It's kind of making people too picky. Maybe it's also kind of saying, like, there's always another choice, there's always something else. How do you know? How do you think you know if someone's the right for you? Do you think you'll just feel it? Your heart will tell you, and so will your head. So you need both. Yep. That's the only way to know if someone's right for you or not. Yeah. But you also need to ask yourself, why am I with this person? Am I with this person for the right reasons or for the wrong reasons? Mm-hmm. What would be some of the right reasons and what would be some of the wrong reasons? That you love being around them, you enjoy their company, you enjoy spending time with that person, and that... You don't mind doing the little things in life with them. And if it's like Valentine's Day or birthday, you don't mind do you, you wouldn't mind doing something low key or quiet with them. But people who are with other people for the wrong reasons, they expect material gifts nonstop. They expect people to to be f flush with cash and um have all these high profile 
events for birthdays and anniversaries and Valentine's Day and all that. And also caring excessively about their appearances. Mm, yeah. Anyway, um, now we're moving on to our Ask Mr. A Plus segment. I'll explain what that is. The Ask Mr. A Plus segment is a segment of the podcast that the, towards the end where the guest has the, the opportunity to ask me questions. So, do you happen to have any questions in mind? How about I ask you probably one of the first questions I ever asked you? Sure. See if there's a different answer. Okay. What do you think love is? Love is the most wonderful thing a, f- a human being can feel. It makes you feel warm inside. And it makes you feel wanted and accepted. It makes you feel like you belong. And it also makes you feel like you're being fulfilled in a way. Sounds like a nice feeling then. It is, yes. I also would like to say thank you so much for your time today, Kian. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It was great to see you again in person. Likewise. Always a pleasure, sir. I appreciate you inviting me on. And thank you for accepting the opportunity to be my guest today. No worries. That probably wasn't very interesting, but it was good to see you regardless. It's always a pleasure talking with you, sir. Anytime. I do hope to see you again soon. No doubt. No doubt we'll talk soon anyway. Nope. No doubt. No doubt.